The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V, pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. Father, we've got a couple questions tonight concerning Francis and recent happenings at the Vatican. This first one uh, writes in and says, Now that Bergoglio has invoked magisterial authority and pronounced Vatican II liturgy is irreversible, can we finally turn our back on this man, or do we wait until the shoe falls and open sodomites are accepted as priests? Can we finally turn our backs on this man? Well, uh, that can be interpreted in different ways. Uh, there are many people who have already turned their, their backs on him in the sense that they do not regard him as a representative of the, of the Catholic faith, the Catholic Church, um, certainly. So uh, if we haven't finally turned our backs on him by now, so to speak, uh, I don't know what more he could do. I mean, he's an open socialist, very frank socialist, and Pope Pius XI said that no one can be a sincere Catholic and at the same time a, a socialist. Right? But he said, a true, no one can be at the same time a true Catholic and a sincere socialist. But we know Francis is a quote-unquote sincere socialist. So, draw your own conclusion. So, um, there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, this man does not represent the Catholic faith. There's no doubt about it. Um, that's why when somebody offers the traditional Latin Mass, he really cannot say in good conscience that he's one in faith with Francis when it comes to the Unicum at the canon of the Mass. It's impossible. He, he, if he's one in faith with Francis, he shouldn't be offering the traditional Mass, that's for sure. Uh, and people should be attending his traditional Mass if he does offer it. If he really is one in faith with his man. So, uh, you know, this uh, statement of Francis now invoking magisterial authority just shows the, the, the fundamental dishonesty of the, the whole construct, the monstrous construct of the Novus Ordo. You know, you'll have people who will who will parallel what St. Pius V did in 1570 with what Paul VI did in 1970. And they'll say they're the same thing. Look, a pope comes out with a new mass, and, you know, he issues this, he publishes this, and imposes this new mass. So it's the same thing, right? Well, the fact is, you know the difference. Pope Pius the St. Pius V was rooting out the modern and the modernist at the time. He was rooting out the Protestant errors to restore the traditional Mass and it's all, all of its integrity. <coughs> 400 years later, Paul VI does exactly the opposite. The procedure might be similar, but the procedure is all. I mean, it's, it's the superficials that, are, that, that might stand some, some, uh, some comparison there, but the essential is that what Paul VI was imposing was diametrically opposed to what, what Paul VI was imposing in 1970 was diametrically opposed to what St. Pius V was imposing in 1570 because uh, Paul VI was doing exactly the opposite of what St. Pius V was doing. 
he was suppressing the traditional in order to to not only bring uh, into the foreground the new, he was trying to completely obliterate the traditional to replace it with the, with the modernist. That was his own construction. That's not what St. Pius the fifth did. And now you've got you've got Bergoglio here appealing to St. Pius the tenth and his reform of church music in Trale Solicitudine, uh, 1904. <laughs> You've got him appealing to that as some sort of a, a, a principal foundation for what he did, and it's absurd. But it's not only absurd; it's just it's just basically uh, one big brash lie, is what it is. Again, Saint Pius X was rooting out the modern. He was rooting out the operatic music. He was rooting out the the romantic music that had come in, the opera hall type of music. You know, um, he was rooting all that out. In fact, in Trolley-Salichitutine, he even spoke rather roughly. He said, you know, we, we might have reason to fear, he said, that with our music, as corrupted as it is now by the modern music brought into the churches, that Christ will again knock the cords and come and drive the money changers out of the temple, you know, with his whip, whip, whips, you know. He said that's how bad it is. And the fact that it was in 1904 that he said that, when did he become pope? Well, you know, it was the end of 1903. He was ready. He was ready to issue that encyclical. You could tell, or the Simone Proprio is what it really was. <clears throat> you could tell that this had been really on his mind for a long time here, that he was this, was, this was an evil he was going to deal with. And he did. But again, the idea is that he was rooting out the modern, that is the worldly from the church, <clears throat> and restoring the traditional. So the fact that Francis Bergoglio or Jorge Bergoglio would, would appeal to St. Pius X to some sort of a, for an endorsement of, of his Novus Ordo is not ludicrous. It's, it's, it's just, it's grotesquely dishonest. You know? But that's what Novus Ordo is. That's what modernism is. Father, what does this statement do for the, the doctrine of papal infallibility? Because this, this seems to be... It doesn't touch the doctrine of papal infallibility at all. It just makes him look like a, a complete fool, like he doesn't even know this, or he doesn't think anybody else knows what it is. I mean, but this is a man who's already said, he's already uh, answered in, in Spanish uh, media, that every time he opens his mouth, it's, it's magisterium, right? He basically went down the list, if he speaks here, he speaks there, he speaks on the planes, uh, giving interviews to the, to the uh, reporters, that's magisterium. If he gets up and if he talks in his sleep, you get the impression it's magisterium. Hey, you might try that. It might be more orthodox. You know, if you ever learn the catechism, it might come out. But it's sure not coming out when he's awake. Okay. Uh, so um, I don't think you can even hypnotize this man again to say something orthodox, Catholic. So anyway, uh, it doesn't affect the Catholics, the Catholic teaching on orthodox uh, on um, the magisterial teaching of the Church and magisterial authority. What it does is demonstrate that he has no concept. He has no clue whatsoever. Or if he does, he's blatantly representing what he knows is true to substitute the modernist concept. Personally, I think Francis Bergoglio, or Jorge Bergoglio, is uh, devoid of knowledge of the Catholic faith. I think he does not have a fundamental understanding of the Catholic faith. I, I don't think he ever learned the catechism. He told you what he was doing when he was serving Mass with his friends, early as with the, the traditional Latin Mass when he was a boy. He was horsing around, making fun of it, mocking it for laughs, right? trying to trip the priest up when he's offering the Mass. 
I mean, this man is, is uh, uh, he, he's, uh, he has no sense of reverence in him, uh, except perhaps to some communist dictators. I remember just a few years ago, he was in Venezuela, you know, talking how wonderful this is, you know, and now look at it. It's a, it's a socialist hell there right now. But you hear him denouncing socialism? Oh, never, never. Only capitalism is evil. So again, uh, I think this, this man has been raised um, in a way that, um, that he has a complete uh, absence. There's a complete absence of knowledge of the Catholic faith in him. Um, that's actually the best interpretation I can put about what he's doing and saying. Uh, because if he does really know the faith, then and he's formally rejecting it, then I mean he's a formal heretic. Um, I'm afraid he gives plenty of indications of that too. At times he comes out with something that sounds very pious, but the times that he comes out with something pious, it sounds so affected. It sounds so um, out of place coming out of his mouth. And it makes you wonder if it doesn't have a ghostwriter who, who puts these things uh, before him to say, well, well, say this so it sounds like Baltimore Catechism number three. Once in a while, I'll say something like this. Because it, it doesn't sound right coming from him. Even when he says something orthodox, uh, meaning truly Catholic, it, it, uh, it clashes with everything else he stands for. Father, recently in the uh, in the National Review, there was an article published by one of their senior writers there, and it was titled, Pope Francis is Diminishing the Papacy Good. And he makes the, the, the author makes the point um, throughout this article of how it's just ludicrous to see how Francis is constantly invoking this magisteri- magisterial mm-hmm. authority and, and making all these supposedly infallible statements when so many of them are contradictory and how he's saying the changes of Vatican II are irreversible, but how can they be irreversible when it was their authority that caused them to begin? Mm-hmm. And even now, the, the changes of Vatican II are, are still changing. I mean, mm-hmm. You've made this point many times of how well, if you if you go to a different Novus Ordo parishes, you'll get mm-hmm. a different variety of, of mm-hmm. liturgy and everything, different different varieties. Sure, of and every and two everything. years or so, they come up with new norms, new, new practices, uh, new translations even, prayers. So... Yeah, it, well, this is the, the revolution on permanence, as they say. I mean, the, the revolution of Trotsky and going back to the French Revolution and before the Masons, they always, they always saw the revolution as a permanent fixture. And this goes along with constant evolution. Um, so uh, they're, they're never done. The revolution is never done. In fact, it will never be done as long as there is any faith left on earth. Because that's the mission of the revolution, to completely eradicate faith. Hey, you know, uh, Nubius, the Masonic writer who, who gave us what we know as the permanent instruction of the Alta Vedita, and Voltaire, before him, said the same thing. In fact, Nubius said, our program is that of Voltaire. So he tied it together. And he, he said, quite frankly, our objective is to obliterate the very memory of Christ in the world so that no human being on the face of the earth has any rem- memory of Jesus Christ. So um, there you have it. I mean, this is what Bergoglio is actively involved in. He's going to falsify our Lord to the point. He's going to falsify Christ to the point, falsify the church, falsify Christianity, falsify everything, falsify the mass, 
And he's going to falsify it so that there's absolutely no memory of what the Mass truly is, what the faith truly is, who our Lord truly is. That's his goal. He's, he's working hard at it right now. So it's irreversible. See, that's how they see the revolution. You can't go back. You can only go forward with revolution. This is Marx's idea of history, the dialectic. You can't go back. You have to always go forward. And so you have people saying to you, oh, well, you know, these changes came in. You can't, you can't turn the clock back. You can't turn the clock back. Well, this is moronic. You know, when you, when you, when you have somebody tell you this because they're just chanting this mantra, and they have put no thought into this whatsoever, there's not a person on the face of the earth that buy a clock that you couldn't <laughs> set back if we were giving it the wrong time. You'd say, this clock is broken. I want my money back. So uh, the fact is, um, when, they, when they try to tell you, you can't undo what we did, what they're trying to make you think is, we killed this. You cannot bring this back to life. We murdered this. You cannot bring this back to life. They're talking like a bunch of murderers, and they are. Father, recently there was a, a story. I'm a little foggy on all the details, but I believe this story came out of South America where there's some group there of priests who um, who go about exorcisms, but not for the purpose of actually exercising demons, but for the purpose of, of talking with them, of speaking with, with the demons and conversing with them. And uh, they, they had some transcripts of some of their supposed conversations with, with devils that were in possessed persons. And I remember one of the, one of the conversations, one of the transcripts, had one of the devils saying, talking about Francis and saying how Francis is so dumb and how he is totally in the grips of the devil and how he will mm. do whatever the devil asks him to do yeah. and how he is a tool of the devil. And they say that Satan is the father of lies, but it seems that that could actually be very Well, true. Satan is the father of lies, it's true. But I mean, even Putin, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin comes out and says, uh, Francis is not a man of God. Right? At least not a god of Christianity. You know? So he, he's a man of some other false god, I guess, in Putin's mind. Can the devil speak true? Well, yes, he can. He can boast. The devil can boast. And in exorcisms, the devil can be... Now, I'm not saying they're exercising. I think that's, that's an extremely foolish thing to do. And um, not only foolish, it's, it's, it's insane to do that. The church has explicitly forbidden that. Uh, doing something like that. That is not traditional Catholic. And if they claim to be traditional Catholics, they're not. People should stay away from these people. This is ridiculous. Um, they're waiting to be manipulated by Satan. The fact is, though, that Satan is a boaster, and he will boast. And if he feels he has something to boast about, he'll crow. Even if it cuts his nose off to spite his face, he will, he'll boast. And um, if, he, if he feels that, look, I've done this, I've gotten my goal, I've taken him over, he's mine now, and he'll do everything I say, and I've got your Pope, so-called, right? Then he will boast about that. And perhaps he will, he will say it boasting because he thinks there's nothing anybody can do about it. That's precisely what he, he would do. So that, that's why Satan uh, continually gives himself a hot foot, so to speak. <laughs> because... Uh, you know, his pride uh, sets him up for doing stupid things. And uh, for him to reveal something like that doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. It could just mean it's something that he's very proud of. Yeah. And That's, he's, he's going to make an issue of it. It's a, a scary, scary thought, though. Does, it, does he look what I did? To read something like that. Let's move on to another email, though, Father. This one is from a traditional Catholic living in Sweden who has been watching the program for some time. They have a couple questions. And the first one here... 
reads as follows, If we today cannot know whether or not the conciliar popes are true or false popes, under what circumstances would we be able to get an answer? Since theology is a rational science and truth is objective, there must be an answer. Well, there certainly is an answer. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have all the answers. You know. I mean, there's a lot of objective reality out there we don't have the answers to. <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to find it. Um, and there are some answers that are actually beyond our ken, insofar as they require God to show us the way. And that's why he gave us a magisterium. So when Francis uh, falsifies the magisterium, I'd say it's a pretty serious clue that he's not a true pope, you know. Um, to someone who would say, you, you know, here, this is the problem, Tom, okay? There are people out there, and believe it or not, I do understand where they're coming from on this, okay? When you say, categorically, Francis is not the pope. He's not the vicar of Christ on earth. Or, or you say that the Novus Ordo Popes, you know, the succession of them are not popes at all. Then they immediately go into the mode of thinking, okay, the consequences of this are that the papacy is at an end for all practical purposes. I mean, false cardinals appointed by false popes then can turn around and elect a true pope if they're not really, if they're not really cardinals. And so they see a vicious circle argument set up here where they basically think you're saying the church has come to an end. Where you think... Where you're telling them, oh, look, this is the end times, you know, uh, any minute now, you know, God's going to pull the plug and it's going to be over. And so you're dictating that to them and they're saying, well, I'm not ready to uh, admit that, to acknowledge that yet. So, you know, the implications of what you're saying, as I say to Vicantist, are so grave that maybe you don't understand the implications of what you're saying, but the least I can say is you're reckless because the implications are that's the end. This is the end. You're saying that Christ's promises failed. You're saying the church is, is basically finished, that there is no more papacy. The papacy itself, in other words, is, is a dead issue because there's no way, you know. According to the traditional message of the church, there's no way to have a hope going forward. I understand where these people are coming from. This is a real conundrum. I understand that. I do. But they have to understand there's a real conundrum going the other way, too. To insist that someone like Francis is the Pope, that a, that a real Catholic Pope can say and do these things, that poses an even worse problem. If, if a Pope, if a man can be the Pope and do these things to the Church, and do these things to Christ, do these things to souls, and basically everyone just to say, well, he's the Pope, what are you going to do? And that creates more of a problem than saying he's not. And this is where I see the Sedevicantus and the anti-Sedevicantus squaring off because the one group says to the other, what you're saying is worse than what I'm saying. <clears throat> you know, what you're implying is ten times worse than what I'm saying. And the other one say, oh, no, no, it's not. You know, it's what you're saying that's worse, you know, because this is what you're getting at and saying, no, no, look at the consequences of what you're saying. I don't see any resolution to that problem. Except to say, look, uh, can we all agree that he's not speaking like a pope, he's not acting like a pope, and he shouldn't be regarded as a pope? Um, because there's a doubt, there's a very serious doubt, to say the least, that, uh, that he has the faith, uh, that he was legitimately elected a pope with all the shenanigans going on with the, uh, with the elections and so on. Um, how even those, uh, some who are elected him want to fire him now and get rid of him because he's wreaking such havoc. Um, you know, the church is in a state of, uh, well, generally a state of crisis, you know. 
if someone wants to subscribe to the thesis of Kasikiakum, saying he's a material pope and not a formal pope, again, I, theologically, I don't see how I can defend that. But, you know, if they need to somehow find an explanation why it seems we're in a dilemma right now, I understand very well. You know, we're, we're, there is a dilemma here, okay? Um, but, uh, you know, in answer to our, our reader here, uh, or our writer here, personally, I think we just have to go back uh, to tradition, practicing the traditional Catholic faith, regardless of anything he says. And just completely, uh, you know, what should I say, uh, ignore what he says. We can't ignore it, obviously. We have to show the falsehood of it. We have to unmask it, denounce it as the, the voice of the enemy. His works are the work of the enemy, right? Denounce, renounce Satan and all of his works and all of his pomps. I mean, that's what we've got coming to the Vatican right now. We have to do that. You know? If the anti-Satanicantists want to ask me, well, gee, then, you know, um, if, if he's not the Pope and these people he's appointed cardinals are not really cardinals, then how are we going to have a Pope again? I would say, well, you know, that's not my department. I don't know. You know, I, I do not. I do not know. There are people who suggest ways that could this could be done. I don't think they're quite very realistic, you know, honestly. Um, but I, I know the church has been in an impasse before. The church and our Lord has, as only our Lord can do, because because it's His church. He has shown us the way, um, and I believe I, I'm confident that He will here too. Even if there are some spectacular graces that have to be given that completely, dramatically, instantaneously change the whole picture, God can do that. But only God can do that. I can't do that. I can't predict these things either. I can't forecast these things. I can't send God a, uh, an, uh, you know, uh, uh, an order form for you know so much grace to be given to so-and-so, delivered here on the Vatican doorstep. But... Um, you know, in praying for the church, we're praying and asking God to give the graces that are needed, when, where they're needed, when they're needed, in order to deal with this crisis. And the crisis is a matter of human, human sin, human failing. What Our Lady said at Fatima is uh, hitting us, striking us with a great vengeance right now. And that's where we have to focus our energies and our time, reforming that. Um, so, I mean, in answer to our writer here, I would say we have all we have enough information. We've had quite enough information for quite some time to uh, be quite certain that when Francis is speaking, he is not speaking as a pope. And what he says are not the words of Christ. They are not the words of a, of a Catholic pontiff. What he does is not. These are not the actions of a Catholic pontiff. Period. So. Um, in terms of what he says and does, we do not regard these as the words or the actions of a Catholic pontiff. Mm -hmm. I, I can't, anyway. Yeah, and I think one point that's important to remember is that no matter what he says or does, the it doesn't change. Uh, it doesn't change the answer, which is still just stick to tradition and, mm -hmm. and follow the traditional faith. Sure. One more question here, Father, from this viewer, uh, considering the Society of Saint Pius the Tenth. He says, here in Sweden, SSPX have allied themselves with the neo-Nazi and neo-fascist movements. 
Why do you think that an organization that claims to stand for the restoration of traditional Catholicism would do something like this? They perhaps have been drawn into this by the artifices of these organizations. Now, he's saying that's true. Um, I have reason to believe that what he's saying is true, but I, I haven't verified it myself. I, um, I understand, though, that there's, there's something to this, what he's saying. And uh, if, if, if this is exactly correct, I, I could see these these uh, these movements, organizations, whatever they are, going to Pius X and wanting to wanting to get in there and turn them, right? Seeing an opportunity, you know, you know what uh, Nubia said. Nubia said the Church will never come to the Freemasons. The Freemasons must go to the, must go to the Church. We must go to the Church. And his answer was, was, go to the church, enter her seminaries, enter her convents, work our way up until we can secure a pontiff according to our needs. Voila, you know, Francis might as well have come in the Duncan Hines cake mix for the Pope according to Mason's needs. Uh, so, in any case, um, I can see the, these uh, neo fascist movements and so on. I mean, they're all socialist. We talk about right and left. That's just a construct of the of the liars who want to confuse us. You know, as though somehow Stalin's over here and Hitler's over here, and they're diametrically opposed to each other. Just because they fought doesn't mean they're they're not both a couple of uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know, the fact is that they're both socialists. I mean, one's national socialism, the other is a world socialism, Bolshevism, right? Um, but they're they're both socialists. And uh, this is what we've had. We've had these socialists uh, going at, at each other's throat. And all they are is just cheap, petty dictators who want to control everyone's life. Um, and, and Satan is backing all of them, you know. So he's the fight promoter of all this, you know. He can't lose. Uh, it's like the, the Rothschilds and, and the other bankers, I mean, fomenting wars so that they can finance both sides, you know. And whoever wins, whoever, nobody wins, but they, they win. They always win. So, um, in, in any case, um, this is, I'm afraid, what, what happens here when they talk about these uh, neo-fascists and the, the alt-right and the alt-left. There's not a dime of difference. They're a bunch of thugs is what they are. Right? They met in uh, Charlotte, right? And, uh, of course, the alt-left is, is screaming bloody murder. You've got to denounce those alt-righters, you know, the, uh, whatever that means. And... Um, and so Donald Trump gets up and uh, at first he says, well, yes, we have to denounce that. But then he gets up and he says, well, you have the alt-left at work there too, and they were inciting this violence. And then, of course, the alt-left goes berserk, and they have the media behind them. So the, the media is nothing but the mouthpiece for the alt-left, the Democrats, the socialists. That's all it is, the modern media. Um, and um, so they, they, they scream. Uh, about Trump, you know, defending the all right when he was just saying, "Well, the all left is is, is stirring up all this trouble," and uh, of course the police were told to stand down, and nobody can understand. You know, the thing is, did, did Terry McAuliffe, I think it was, did he tell him to stand down, stand back, and let this happen? Were they looking for some kind of a made-for-media adventure that they could they could uh, make hay out of the all left? I don't know. Somebody came out afterwards and said, 
There's a reason why the police are standing down here. That's because they've been so abused by these radicals for so long. They, the, the radicals have gotten them used now to standing back. And this is the next phase now where the radicals know, okay, now we got the police to stand down, so now we can do whatever we want. And we can attack the rightists when they stand up. But as far as I'm concerned, this is Godzilla versus the smoke monster here. You know, you have the, the white supremacists and the fascists and all that. They're a bunch of totalitarian socialists. They're no better than the thugs on the left. They're the same, same thuggery, you know. And... Uh, you know, to have them go at it in our city streets just shows, shows the anarchy that we're descending into. But it's orchestrated. It's orchestrated from, from the from the all left, from Soros and the rest of these people. Uh, they're planning all this, and what they're trying to do is just just reduce the, the country to chaos and anarchy. You know, there was a demonstration in uh, San Francisco recently. They had 400 people who showed up to say uh, that to say Marxism will not take over America. They were standing against Marxism in America. They were attacked by 4,000 leftists, outnumbered 10 to 1. Oddly enough, some of the media even came out and pointed that out and said, look, you know, these 4,000 leftists showed up with, with, with uh, bats and, uh, and uh, you know, other instruments of uh, weaponry and attacked these people. It, amazing, but somebody actually told the truth. I wonder, he probably doesn't have a job left uh, with, the, with the, the media anymore. But uh, in any case, this is, this is what's going on right now. I could see these, uh, the, uh, the so-called rightists who are nothing but really leftists wearing, you know, different gang colors, um, wanting to co-opt Pius X. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by whatever name they, they can, if the if the uh, socialist, if the Bolsheviks can't get them, let, let the National Socialists uh, get them. But one way or another, they're going to get in there, and they're going to try to start whatever good they're they're doing, and whatever Archbishop of um, at great expense, at great personal expense, established them to do. You know, we have somebody who's criticizing Archbishop Lefebvre for signing the document on religious liberty. Well, I don't agree with the fact that he signed the document on religious, religious liberty either. I, I find it really sad and unfortunate and reprehensible. But I think they're missing the point, too, that he did sign the document. Okay, he did. We have evidence that he did. It's clear that he did. But after the council, what happened to those 70 bishops who didn't sign the document? What did they do? Where did they go? Did they stand up? Did they raise their voices? Do they lead any efforts to resist the Novus Ordo? All those bishops who didn't sign that document, what became of them? They went back to the dioceses, they blended into the war work, you never heard another word about them. But after the council, Archbishop Lefebvre had the grace to realize this is wrong. He's the first one to stand up and say, I regret bitterly signing that document. And he would, he's the first one that said I should have done that. And basically, uh, you might say he spent the rest of his life, quote-unquote, quote, repenting of it in trying to uh, do everything he could to resist the Novus Ordo. Um, he tried diplomatic channels when they were offered to him. But uh, in the end, he, he managed to see his way through them, too, as artifices. And um, so I think we have to uh, give, him, give him credit for that. I think it's enough to say, well, he signed these documents of Vatican II, so that's that's it. You know, we want nothing. We have nothing to do with them. Now, wait a minute. 
he uh, he's the one who went back to uh, went back home and got to work, and finally stood up practically single-handedly. And uh, he's the one that they went after because they realized that he was the one who was their greatest uh, opponent, mm -hmm. the most formidable opponent. Father, today is St. Rose of Lima's feast day, great saint of the church. What would she tell us if she were alive today in these, in these tumultuous times? What advice would she have for us? I'm sure she would tell us to, to listen to the voice of Our Lady of Fatima. I'm sure she would say exactly what our Blessed Mother said. This is what you need to do. Look at the life of St. Rose of Lima. Look at the, the cross that she carried. Look at the sufferings that she endured. Right? Now, there is a, truly a valiant soul, a real victim soul. And she realized the need for prayer and penance. So ladies, message at Fatima. You know. I think that's exactly what she would say. Uh, listen to your mother, she would say. Listen to our mother. Right? As I did, and I want you to also. And uh, the trouble you're in right now is simply the result of not listening to her and being obstinate and to just wanting to go your own way. And even if you realize there's some serious wrong, just wanting to solve it in your own way. But there is no other way to solve it than her way. So um, that's where, <laughs> where she would send us. All right, fair enough. Well, Father, thanks for being here tonight. I appreciate oh, your time answering all these questions. But that's virtual, Tom. Thank yeah, you. No problem. And thanks to our questioners, too. Yeah, definitely. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.